Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And it's back to school month. Uh, a whole bunch of my co-workers' children have been going back to school this week. Um, um, I guess I could say the same in theory if I knew if any of my co-workers had children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, I'm thinking no. <laughs> I, if you don't know... Then the answer is probably no. Well, I mean, a because lot of them are, like, remote, so That's who knows? also true. <laughs> uh, but it's back to school month, and all month long we've been talking about um, high school characters, right? The people that make up, not just high schools, but schools in general. And um, we've covered teachers. Mm-hmm. We've covered uh, jocks and cheerleaders in last week's episode. Yes, we did. But... There are all sorts of kinds, you know? It, it takes all kinds, as the saying goes. Mm-hmm. And so, this week we decided that we were going to go and look at the weirdos and the outcasts. And so, we're looking at all of those poor, sad souls. Uh, some, you know, sit here as, as hosts. You know, <laughs> I was definitely an awkward middle schooler for a time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Some sit here as toasts. Honey, we were friends in high school. <laughs> so, um, I think I think that this category speaks for the both of us. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, 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 it's, it's very true and has always been true to some degree, right? That the moment that you have children in a setting together, some sort of homogenous herd identity appears. And so outliers... Mm-hmm. become objects of um, interest, positive and negative. I, I love it. I love it. And so then from that we get, you know, lonely kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes they band together into, you know, a little group of uh, sort of misfit toys. And then other times they end up going on to be sad loners that never really quite fit in. And so this whole episode is dedicated to those poor, poor souls that feel like black sheeps inside of their own school community. And, uh... Yes, the the (laughs) freaks and the geeks. That's right. (laughs) But don't worry, the nerds are next week. That's right, that's right. That's a different category, though. It's a different different thing. You can be a nerd but have a whole community. Band nerds. Mm-hmm. See? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Choir geeks. Mathletes. Oh, mathletes. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, I guess, you know, with that in mind, uh, sort of, you know, you, I guess, already, you already, I guess, staked out a camp for yourself. Um, what groups do you think that you considered you, yourself, you know, a part of during school? Um, well, it was definitely, like, the... And it doesn't have to just be high school. Well, I feel like it, the, the, the thing applies to, to every group of my friends, just because, like, at the end of the day, I don't know if I technically have anything in common with people who are athletically gifted. <laughs> like, in any capacity. You know, I, I even had a roommate for a time in college that was a soccer player. And did we hang out? Absolutely not. We even had the same name. And we didn't hang out. She just wanted to be my roommate after my roommate went to a different dorm 
because of the fact that the the girls next door to us were other soccer players and they could be besties through the wall and it was just me just <laughs> me hanging out so um no I, I have I guess I've always kind of considered myself a little bit like of a like an outcast I guess I don't I'm not like a like a cool outcast I, I don't think you know like those those um James Dean rebel without a cause yeah yeah no 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 not at all I don't have that much energy <laughs> And see, it's exhausting to to hate the world so much. I know, because I do. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, your face was perfect. Um, but yeah, no, in high school, like, I wasn't really a part of the... Since we went to an art school, all of the... All of the stereotypes were kind of shifted a little bit. Like, we didn't have cheerleaders. We had the dance girls. Yeah. We didn't have jocks... And, and, and cheerleaders, we also did have, you know, the sort of, uh, stars of the show. Yeah, yeah, we had the cool musical theater people who were, like, royalty at the school. And then we had the dancer girls who were, like, the prettiest, uh, girls in school. And they got to run around school in ridiculous We did have the sexually active band nerds. That one, that one stuck. Well, yeah, again, art school, art Mm -hmm. school. But, you know... At the, at the end of the day, like, I wasn't one of the popular musical theater ki- kids, even though I was in musical theater. Um, it was a shock to everyone when I got a, a leading part in anything. It was amazing. I hated auditioning. Still do. Gives me the, <laughs> gives me the willies. Um, I'm always terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, that was kind of like... Our crew was just this group of misfit toy kids who found comfort in their collective weirdness, kind of like the kids from Stranger Things, except minus all of the all of the spooky stuff and add more music to it. You know, really, that's that was it. I was a music nerd. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I guess back in back in like elementary school, the the very first school that I went to, um. I ended up being relatively well known, if only just because it was also a small town. You know, it was a, it was a mining town. Mm-hmm. Um, the largest part of the population that came and went seasonally was the college, and so that's fair. You know, it was easy to be recognized in a town like that, and I was a part of a group of four friends. Um, and one of my friends' dad was like a gad about town of a sort, you know, he was a well-known guy. He was Mm -hmm. a pillar in the community. And so I ended up being more known than I certainly ever realized I was. I remember one of the memories that I have from right before I left that school was like a, like a first grader knowing who I was. I had no idea who this kid was. Uh, that's why I felt senior year of, of, of high school when like sixth graders were like, Hey Lauren. And I was like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and then my next school, I definitely shifted into being more of, of an odd man out because, you know, I came to it in the middle of the year. I was definitely not really a part of like the McKinney, you know, it was a suburb of Dallas, uh, a very wealthy suburb of Dallas. And so I didn't necessarily start to fit in again until I, I played football. Mm hmm. But then I left right after that. And so then I sort of started all over again in middle school. And and again, like I spent seventh and eighth grade sort of as like odd man out until I realized I could make people laugh. 
Mm. I got into theater classes at uh, my school, and you know they were they were not great public school standard issue theater classes, but I realized that I could make people laugh, and that definitely had like a little bit of a shift mm-hmm. in fortune by eighth grade. Uh, and then I started all over again by coming to Northwest where, you know, I didn't know anybody. And then by that point, I, I think that I spent my first year as like a little bit of an odd man out. And then sophomore on, I would say that I was a little bit of a chameleon. I, I think no, yeah. that I sort of floated. So, well, the thing is in, in high school, you know, you could fit in with a lot of groups because like you were in the neighborhood with all of like the wealthier kids so, like, you had them to be like, oh, we're equals, and then you could also just, like, bum it with the losers as well, you know, like, you were pretty much all around, which is funny, though, because, like, I remember one time mom being like, oh, Lauren, you're so popular, everybody knows you, and I was like, mother, there's a difference between being popular and being known, being known, yeah, I was like, yeah, people know me, it's because I've gone here for, for years, you know, there's only, there's a finite amount of us. Of course they know me. <laughs> yeah. And and you came up with a whole slew of them. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, these are the people that I've, I've hung out with for the past like six years. Like, of course I know these people. They know me, you know, but like you really broke through all of that in like no time flat. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, very liquid, I guess, in any sort of given situation by the time that I hit a certain point in high school. Well, I think that, um, you know, also your, your upbringing has a, has a lot to do with that. You know, your dad can talk to a rock and it'll cock back to him. So like (laughs) the only, the, there's literally only ever been one time as far as I'm aware in recorded history that my father's person ability got like active blowback. Oh, it was the person in line. It was the person in line. Ah. And that person was a New Yorker. And well, so... yeah, yeah. No, his Southern sensibility was not going to rub well on any New Yorker. No, especially like a born and bred who was like fresh to the area and had probably never really experienced anyone as like proper old school. I'm going to Southern talk at you. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. They were, they were unprepared for it and offended. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I guess with that sort of out of the way, we can go ahead and jump on into the meat of our our episode, which is, of course, the films themselves. And Mm -hmm. as the title has already given away, we're going to be talking about Carrie and Dazed and Confused, kind of two very extremified ideas of what a loner, outcast, out, you know, sort of figure is in a school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we'll go ahead and we'll jump on in. Beginning with Carrie. We, of course, always go chronologically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carrie is, of course, based on a book by Stephen King. It's actually his first fully published novel. He had been published before. He had written several shorts. He had been a part of a school newspaper when he was in college. Uh, But he had never written a novel. And he had this idea about a, a girl who got psychic powers in her teenage years and this lonely sort of sad girl. And he was actually very inspired by girls that he knew from school, one of whom ended up never having a happy life is sort of the implication. Um, Happy or, or long, unfortunately. And so 
He wrote about half of it, hated it, chucked it in the bin. His wife picked it up out of the bin, read it, and urged him to finish it. And sort of the rest is history. You know, it ended up being sort of a blow-up success. It's It then immediately, sort of very quickly thereafter, got picked up for film rights. You know, he had had a few books published by that point, but it was a pretty quick turnaround from Carrie the book becoming lightning in a bottle to Brian De Palma, one of the film school brat generation filmmakers up there with Lucas and Spielberg, etc., landing on this movie and, and jumping into making Carrie. Sorry, sorry. I, I just I just had a thought, you know, you were like the film school brat. I was like, what is this generation of filmmaker gonna be called? The YouTube sensation? Like how how are we finding new new talent? But, you know. We'll have to wait twenty years to really get a good grasp on that. Yeah. And so uh for a little bit of background on the film Carrie, it was released November sixteenth, nineteen seventy six. It's an hour and 38 minutes. It's rated R. It had a budget of $1.8 million and it made $33.8 million. Wow. It is directed, like I said, by Brian De Palma. It is written by Lawrence D. Cohen. It stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie. Piper Laurie as Margaret White. Amy Irving as Sue Snell. William Catt as Tommy Ross. Nancy Allen as Chris Hargensen. And one Mr. John Travolta as Billy Nolan. And it's got PJ Souls in it. Also that. Um, but like, what a, what a bit part. No, yeah, but she's in it. She's there. Uh, the plot is Carrie White, a shy, friendless teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering religious mother, unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom. I mean, it's really the whole movie right there in, in one paragraph. No, honestly, and the whole book. Yeah. Pretty much. You um, know, they, they, we did it. Let's get it out in. of here. Let's write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, go ahead and take it away, dear. What are your thoughts on Carrie? You and I, of course, have read the book together. Yes, yes. That's actually where I was going to begin this whole mind process of me thinking out loud um so yeah so we it was it was great because this is the first time really truly that I've ever like read a book and then watched the movie version of it since Harry Potter you know like especially in like close proximity no yeah because I was I was reading them to watch the movies you know very like let's let's do this kind of thing so um yeah, no. Um this was this is this was great. Uh I thought that they did a really good job staying pretty close to the um to the book, you know, very respectful. Honestly, like verbatim, they were like we are copying and pasting like a good 75% of this book other than the parts that are, you know, Sue's journey like from the the future talking about this event in hindsight. We miss all of that, which is such a bummer because that stuff is so interesting. But, you know, a movie's gonna movie. And I think that they really get to the heart of the things that are very centered around Carrie in the book. And I think that they do that very successfully. Um, I think that uh, Sissy, Spake- Sissy Spacek does a, does a great job. Um, is she who I would have cast as Carrie? Probably not. 
because at the end of the day, um, she's so pretty. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I feel that very much so about Chloe Grace Moretz. I feel that even more so about Chloe well, Grace Well, yeah, Moretz. I think that that's completely fair as well. I mean, I've never seen the remake before, so... But they, they don't do enough to make Chloe Grace Moretz not visually the cheerleader type. No, I, I completely I completely agree with that. I got, I've seen, um, you know, the commercials and things for it, but I've just never gotten to, to sit down and do the do. Um, I guess this was also a good point to bring up. You know, you haven't seen the the other version yeah no okay i have seen both versions and read the book okay okay so, so you've got a very well versed currently in in carriedom well you know you're always one step ahead of me when it comes to the media landscape uh, escape so um but no i thought that this movie was was really interesting i thought that um for it being from 1976 like i didn't think that that ever hindered it at all i thought that they did a lot of the 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 telekinesis stuff really well i thought that that um worked um but yeah no i think that i think that sissy is just really pretty i think that they i think that she succeeds in the aspect of carrie not fitting in because of her religious background yeah, she's she convincingly knows how to be uncomfortable because even though you know Sissy Spacek is not a bad-looking woman, she is also not um a conventional beauty. No, I think that that's fair. Um and, and I and I think that they like really she can find a way to to mouse up a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh and so I think that she really does pull all of that out. Yeah. Very, very well. No, for sure. Um, it's hilarious watching John Travolta in this movie. Um, he's not at all the, the character that we read in that book. And it's it's great. I think that they really like... Um, his, his The character's name is, is Tommy? Billy. Billy. That's another... Answer. Billy Nolan. Yes, 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 yes. Billy Nolan was a scumbag in the book. Yeah, a true unlikable on every level... But you, you almost can't make John Travolta... He can't do it. He can't, Not really. And he can't go as dark as... And the movie was also never going to go as dark. You know, I think that's the other thing. Even though this movie is very fresh, and even though it is still the 70s, I don't think that this movie was ever going to really commit to some of the bleakest parts of the Carrie book and actually i think that that brings up an interesting point i think sometimes the reason that king adaptations fall flat is that people aren't willing to take the full bite i think that that's fair i think that that's totally fair um because at the end of the day i think that this movie was like missing something for me it's very good it's better than the new one it still isn't a perfect adaptation and i do agree with that and i know that that's like a very controversial opinion this is definitely considered one of the best adaptations and it is you know like if we really weigh and measure stones on a fucking scale of the quality of king adaptations there's probably more to bin than to save no yeah but it's it's not perfect no and there's room for improvement and i think that part of the reason for that is that Everyone does know the Carrie story. Yeah. The problem is no one or not enough people have read the Carrie book. 
And the, the real meat of that story is simmering tension to the known outcome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You start knowing that a crime happened. An mm-hmm. explosive crime involving Carrie White. And then we start with Carrie's story and we travel through her and Sue's perspective and we build how a crime boils, sort of. No, yeah, because we're starting from two different points, you know. Mm-hmm. With Carrie, we're starting at the beginning of the story and going in a beginning-to-end fashion. Where with Sue, you know, we're doing the same thing, but we're doing it in hindsight. So it's all of this, you know, like, all right, we're going to start at the beginning of the story. But it's now knowing that all of these 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 dominoes are going to lead exactly to here. Whereas Carrie is just living. Mm-hmm. And and with that in mind, the book is constantly setting up things that you as the audience, when you're living them through Carrie's perspective, might seem innocuous or might seem like good things, but we already know that there's doom faded. No, and yeah. And so then it's also this question of... How does it work? It's almost a little bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. How does it fit together? What's the breaking point? How mm-hmm. does it go so wrong that we get to this little mousy girl choosing butchery? Yeah, choosing to annihilate her entire class. And, you know, basically anybody who was attending that prom. And I think... This actually also wants to... I think that this gets me into an interesting point. I think that's what makes Carrie the Book a very successful bullying story. Okay. Is that we know where the bullying ends. Let's look and see what the fracture points are. Mm-hmm. You know? We can, we can really examine the acts that were critical but then also because we get carrie's perspective we essentially get the truth which is that we think it might just be these singular acts but really it's been everything from every subtle Mm. action even more so than the big ones no um i think that that's i think that that's all really fair um and like I think that the the movie is just it's it's hmm. so I guess I don't want to sound like an asshole, um, but like I think that this movie is like a really good like I'm gonna take this part and this part and this part and this part and then they stitched it all together. And I'm then gonna they, cut it to the bone. Yeah, I'm gonna make it as bare as possible that still tells the story effectively, and that's gonna be that because I think that if you know. Because also we don't get as much time with Carrie as I would like. I I honestly almost want the entire movie just to be, if we're going to cut it down, I want it to kind of almost all entirely be from Carrie's perspective until we get like the little blips of like Chris Harginson, you know, going through her deal. Well, I think because, if I'm like, going to really cut the story to the bone and keep it to only a few perspectives and keep it a feature runtime, because if I just keep it Carrie's perspective, I'm not sure I hit movie length. I mean, I think that that's fair, but I think that we miss out on a lot of things that Carrie does. I'd keep it Carrie and Sue. I think that that's fair. Carrie and Sue, 
two paths that meet in the climactic moment. Because that's the other thing that I think really fucked up, if I'm being completely honest, this movie, is the prom scene is good, the aftermath is a total fuck up. No, yeah, because she tells, she goes on a whole rampage. She destroys the entire town. People are talking about this all over. Well, and, and, and like she, she kills those two people and she's done. She goes she home. She meets her mom. She, her, she goes home almost first. Mm-hmm. Then has the confrontation with her mother. Then realizes that she has now officially run out of safe haven. Turns back out into the world. And then is almost like a, a wounded animal mm-hmm. moving toward the, the final moments of life, doing whatever they can in those moments to do anything. Mm-hmm. And she spends herself completely raw. And that's the other thing that's so heartbreaking about that one versus this one is she, she almost kills herself. In the exertion of doing all this, it's not just the literal physical damage that has now been done upon her throughout the night. She has also just completely spent everything that she had through all of this massive outpouring of years of heartbreak and repression and suffering. And then she she dies in a fucking parking lot. And yeah, the only instead, person, of, instead of holding her mother as they die in their collapsing house. And the only person that's there, that is there to absorb it, is Sue. And also because of Carrie's last little moments of power, Sue knows what she's feeling. Mm-hmm. Through that connection. And that's so fucking heartrending. And I think that that's where neither adaptation has really gotten it right, is I think that, like, Carrie is is so much of the beating heart, but Sue is the person that is meant to be the vessel. She's the town crier. She's the one that goes and, and carries the banner. Mm-hmm. After, you know? this, after this person, this entity is gone, you know. She's the one that now has to carry the weight of what Carrie White's life was well yeah not only that but also the effect of carrie Mm -hmm. in this one moment of carrie's life Mm -hmm. affecting this entire town and her being a survivor who who witnessed this you know this entire thing um because also like not everybody that carrie takes out is is someone who is um bad to her no but at this point she's just she's done yeah you know she's She's this heartbroken child because even like when she does go home and she's like, you know, I, this is, this is my place. And then her mother monologues at her and, um, you know, she realizes that that the only person who was supposed to love me has never loved me. And yeah, you know, it's, it's this whole entire climactic effort. And yeah, I just didn't think, I didn't feel that in this movie, um, it's 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 like whereas Gerald's game has every tooth for the bite. Yeah, yeah. By the time we get to the end of this movie, it almost feels toothless. No, yeah, I was I was kind of like, okay, and now it's over. Pet Cemetery had a much harder hitting 
ending for yeah. me. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's I think because they probably stuck closer to the source material. Yeah, you know, Mary Lambert was very dedicated to sticking to the source material. And again, this one is doing a really good job, and I think that it's 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 um, it's almost there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just. At, at a certain point, it's not scary. Yeah. Let me ask you another question real quickly before we rate the thing. Okay. Um, do you consider Carrie a school shooter story? Yeah. Um, how do you think and why do you think King was able to predict school shooters almost so far in advance? Because I think that he is an observant person. I think that he has seen people be treated so poorly. And like, you know, a natural response is until you can't take it, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do something about it. You gotta, you gotta fight back. You know, that's, you gotta stand up for yourself. And for some people, that is that. You know, the only way that I can ever defeat this bigger force than me is with a bigger force. And, you know, some and ending up taking that in into such a a drastic light is obviously not the answer. The answer at all, but for some people when you've put been pushed to to just just your breaking point on every level to the point where you result in that there's there's clearly echoes of this throughout in our entire, you know, culture. People going postal yeah, exactly, exactly, and it's the it's the same kind of concept, you know. Not everybody is doing it for some kind of radical thing. Some people are just fucking tired, you know. And it happens. It happens all the. It happens all the time, and that's that's the that's the sad part about it. But I think that I think that King, as a as a a person who's writing about people who are broken, most of the time, I think that. Um, he could see it. And, uh, you know, Carrie is about people that he knew who had hard lives. And I think that uh, the fact that he is able to capture this in such an honest way and put it into a, a, a into like a magical realism landscape of, you know, sure, she didn't go in there with a gun, but she literally, you know, develops her powers at in a, a moment of trauma. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I bring that up also because Carrie comes out 70s, then he goes on and under his Richard Bachman pseudonym writes Rage, mm-hmm. which is truly a school shooter story. Um, and so he, he wrote two of the most probably prophetic, you know, pieces of, of modern fiction in relation to what was to come. Well, yeah, um, but also, you know, at the, the time when he's writing this, you know, you have to look at the landscape of the world at that time. The 70s was a hot time for a lot of, you know, political issues. Upheaval. Yes, yeah. Unrest. And he was also a teacher, and he, I'm sure, saw how how poorly people could be treated. And he, I'm sure he remembered back to when he was a student and was like, oh, wow, even in all this time, students still aren't treated better by their peers. Exactly. They're exactly. still the same it's, mean it's, spirit. It's baked into our DNA. It's mm-hmm. this it's this um hunter be hunted mentality. Mm-hmm. There's there's not the the safety 
at no. place. Yeah. No, 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 no. Because, like, at the end of the day, you know, every time we try and build back up the safety net, you know, some group comes by and says, no, we don't like this. Mm-hmm. And so then we have to start all over again. So we just, we, it's a, it's a cycle. It's, um... But I think that I think that that's why he is tapping into this so effectively is because not only he he was probably a, a victim of bullying himself. Yeah. I mean, it's the first thing that he wrote about publicly as a as a book. Yeah. You know, bullying um, is a is a is a hard topic. By the way, random aside: if anyone out there, as a film buds listener, has a a copy of Rage, in any capacity. And would like to share. I'd love to fucking read that thing. Uh, it's it's one that he won't publish anymore. It's hard to find. No, yeah. And so there's some like misprint ones that we saw. We could have gotten them. It was it. There were ones where it was like instead of it being like Richard Bachman, it was like Richard Hockman or something. Like it was like. Like I've forgotten were... all about those. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, they might still be out there in the in the ether. Who knows? But if you want to, do you want to gift the film buds um, a book? Also, mm-hmm. that would be that would be toit. <clears throat> if you want it back, I'll take it. I'll scan every single page, however long it takes me. Send it back to you. But I would love to read it if anyone has a copy. Truly. Um, because I think that he's a very interesting guy and I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that he kind of called this thing so in advance. I mean, what goes around comes around, you know, it probably, it, it could have been something that he was like, ah, this could never happen. Uh, so if you had to rate Carrie out of five, what would you give it? I think I'm going to give Carrie a, oh gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to murder this, this movie. Um, I'm going to give Carrie a three. Okay. I was going to go three and a half. Okay. Okay. I always, I always get so nervous that our scores are going to be so different than each other. You no, know? I was going to go three and a half. Like, I think that this movie is, is, it's fine. Yeah, it's good. Like it's, you know, it's, it's passable. There, there are moments in this movie when I was, like, really, really solidly, like, ah, oh, this is a good acting moment right here. This is really fucked up. Yeah. And then and then there were moments when it when it wasted time. On a certain level, Mirror, Mirror was a more effective Carrie movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. On a certain level, Mirror, Mirror is a more effective Carrie movie. Mirror, Mirror is a great movie. Mirror, Mirror fucking slaps. Uh, um. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> things get influenced by, by other things, so I'm sure that Carrie was a huge influence for that. Yeah. That and Beetlejuice. Um, I guess we'll now move into our second film of the discussion. See. Uh, Dazed and Confused. Perfect title. Uh, it was released September 24th, 1993. It runs an hour 43. It's rated R. It is written and directed by Richard Linklater. It stars Jason London as Pink. Joey Lawrence Adams as Simone, Wiley Wiggins as Mitch, Parker Posey as Darla, Matthew McConaughey as Wooderson, and Ben Affleck as O'Banion. The plot is the adventures of high school and junior high students 
on the last day of school in May 1976. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and, and kick this one off. Um, it had been a while since I had seen Dazed and Confused, and I think the last time I saw it, I didn't really have the right appreciation for it. Um, Richard Linklater is one of my favorites. Um, I see and feel and appreciate a lot of um, myself in his work um and i ultimately you know really really react strongly to a lot of his stuff and this is one that i hadn't seen in a, in a long time uh and i had a great time you know rediscovering it um especially i guess having now lived in austin you know for a little bit of time and I have this this very soft spot for sort of, you know, Texas history and, and Texas lore. Um, and I, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. It was a real wild fucking ride, because I had, I had forgotten a lot about this movie, honestly. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and I think that what Richard Linklater does incredibly well... You know, we we reviewed one of his films earlier this month with School of Rock. Mm -hmm. And I think that one thing that he has managed to do so well is keep in touch with this child voice that always rings true and authentic in every movie that he does that has children in it. I think that it's very honest and authentic in School of Rock. I think it's very honest and authentic in Boyhood, and I think it's very honest and authentic here. And um, even though it's in no way like a childhood lifestyle that I recognize, you know, in, in certain aspects, I also still understand the emotional beats of this movie, and I found it really, really enjoyable, really, really funny, um, and deservedly quotable. It's not perfect, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. What are your thoughts on it? Um, so, um, likewise, I had not seen this movie in quite some time. I honestly couldn't tell you the last time I saw this movie. I'm, I'm not quite sure myself. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I, I found this watch through to be far more enjoyable than the last time I watched this movie. Like, I, I, I think I kind of had like a mid opinion about it for the last time I watched it. You know, I haven't gone back to it in ages. But this was such a fun time. Um, and I can't believe that I had forgotten so much of this movie. You know, I, it was like watching it for the first time again, honestly. Except for like a few scenes here and there. Um, and it is kind of the slice of life of of a, a whole lot of people. You know, we've got our, our groups. We've got our, our groups. We've got the, um, you know, the, the jock kids. We've got the freshman boys. And we've got these, like, sophomores that are just, like, hanging out in the middle, you know? And it's these, it's it's the story of all of these different types of people at different points in their lives colliding in this one one event, this this one celebration of, of youth that they go through every year of this weird 
horrifying hazing routine that ends up turning into a drunken beer fest in the woods. Like that's, you know, to each their own. That's not how I want to live my life. I do not want to be hazed ever. That sounds awful. Um, and should be banned. <laughs> but I do think that this movie is, is very honest in its portrayal of this. Like, I don't doubt for a second that these people are real at, it, at all. You know, even even the most extreme personalities of the, the characters that we meet, I never once go, that's not a real person. No, they're all painfully real. And mm -hmm. what's so interesting is also Dazed and Confused as a movie hits on a lot of similar ideas that other movies that we've talked about this month hit on. Mm -hmm. um, feeling out of place is something that's in this episode, but also to a certain extent in Dead Poets Society. Yeah, yeah. Um, this transition phase of your life. This ridiculous notion of your peak years being in your youth and this hyper-obsessive culture focused around friday night lights and your obligation to the football team you know like i mm -hmm. think that it's so interesting that this movie had like an, an encapsulation of a lot of different ideas but i think that that's because this movie it doesn't hammer everyone home to the nth degree but i think that this movie does because of its slice of life nature touch on so much no, yeah, it's using each of these characters as as um, a pillar for a different theme that is all connected to this, this growing up. You mm -hmm. know, the idea of who am I going to be? What do I want to do? You know, in every year that goes by, am I that much closer or that much further away? You know, and it's it's all of these people who are who are doing a lot of, you know, personal check-ins in this film you know we've got the we've got the kid who who can't possibly be embarrassed by some asshole and makes an entire plan that he's gonna he's gonna fight him and that's gonna be how he he wins back his honor like freaking Zuko or something you know or or we've got we've got the the young lovers who are who are touching the entire movie on on this idea that they both like each other but by the end we finally step over that threshold and you know it's this it's 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 love it's 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 um you know it's it's anger it's it's fun it's learning about yourself it's 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 about you know ideals it's about who you want to be in the eyes of others you know we've got this football player who everybody else has signed this paper and everybody else says that it's stupid but the 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 principal behind the paper he can't agree with and so do you really want to sign something that you're that you yourself are never gonna truly abide by you know and what that means and and this this struggle that he has this entire time of trying to figure out is this is letting go of my morals for this one thing worth it or not for me mm -hmm. you know well and also you know he's he's almost so competent with football that he's complacent to the point of boredom 
Yeah. That he's even questioning why he's doing it. No, yeah, and he's, he's very come much around like a to this Hamlet. idea of am I only doing it because of the societal perks? And could I get these same perks doing something else that might make me happier? Yeah, you know, it's it's this kid babbling with, you know, depression. And you know, you've got young Mitch who is the subject of this bullying doubled down upon because his sister made him a target. Mm-hmm. And he is also an awkward, odd kid. And he blossoms under yeah. pressure, you know? Um, he, he, he truly steps over a threshold into a different kind of Mitch well, yeah, by the end of that movie. Because, you know... All bets are off, and what else do I have to lose at this point after 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 being you know literally paddled to the point where I couldn't sit you know what what's the worst that could happen now you know somebody it's literally took that um the the football player acknowledging him and being nice to him that that was like that was the spark moment because after that moment he kind of has this like okay. Okay, I've got somebody in my corner, you know, and that's a that's a huge thing, mm-hmm. you know, to to feel validated by another individual. It's a huge thing. We're social creatures. Feel protected. Feel safe. Yeah, yeah. Because that pink makes himself a safe character. No, for sure. You know, he's he's approachable. He likes to talk with people. You know, he wants to know what how you're feeling. And, and, you know, your deeper thoughts instead of just having, you know, I don't really want to talk about football right now kind of mentality. And I just, I think that this movie does a lot of interesting things with a lot of different characters. Everybody is going on a different journey, but, and no one's journey is the same, but they all make it to their journey at the end. And, you know, we get this like, almost like, um... Like a like like cards, you know. We've got this deck mm-hmm. of different story outcomes that are all completely relatable, and also, you know, this could be you. Yeah, you get to you get to try on a lot of hats with these characters. No, absolutely. Um, I guess with that in mind, why is it difficult to balance an ensemble? It's like juggling. You can throw one thing up and it'll come down. And that's the one thing that you have to focus on. And that's it. And it's easy. Add two things. Okay, a little harder. But I, I have two hands. So that's fine. But now you get to more than two. You have to, you have to time manage. You have to figure out the right balance. Of Where are they crossing? Exactly. Exactly. Am I having, am I having multiple different disparate storylines that never touch over each other then like what's the story that i'm trying to tell you you know because at the end of the day there still has to be some kind of theme and am i giving more one person more attention than another and then does that completely dissolve the fact that this is an ensemble piece when i start to have now a main character and like we do have main characters but like everybody is like on stairs almost in this movie you know where you're you're on um like chorus risers where, like, there are some people who are definitely higher up on the risers than others. But that doesn't mean that anybody is less important. 
Honestly, I think that if we, if I was going to boil it down to who do I think our, our two mains are, it's Pink and Mitch. Yeah. You know, if I really whittle this thing down, who do I think are the cores? It's Pink and Mitch. Because they're also kind of the same person. I was about to say, I think that they're almost different modes of Richard. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think that one is senior in high school, Richard Linklater. And the other is freshman Freshman in in high school, school, Richard Linklater. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely also kind of the energy that you're getting off of both of them. Um, I really have nothing but the the utmost respect for him. I think that he is, is so talented, and I think that you're so right about the ensemble. And I think that that's... He, he does a great job of character balance. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, at the gets end of the moment. day... Yeah, everybody gets a moment. Everybody has something to do. Mm-hmm. And I have been in shows where I was in an ensemble where I had nothing to do. Where I had to to make up business for myself the entire time. School of Rock, literally everyone in that little class... Had a moment. Had something to do. At least a line. At least a exchange with Jack Black. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm sure that, you know, Richard was probably like, oh, crap, I haven't done anything with what's a, whatchamadu over here. You know, all right, how do I organically bring this person more forward and give them a moment to shine in this? Because we are only as strong as our weakest, you know, our weakest player. So if we can bring everybody up, then we are all up together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I think that ensemble pieces are are fantastic. You know, you, you really also have to have a good group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, not every ensemble show is going to work. Yeah. Because it's a balance. It's a balance of talent. It's a balance of um, a whole lot of different aspects. No, absolutely. And, um... Yeah, you know, like, I think that that's such a, such a skill, though, is being able to create a good ensemble piece. Like, I, again, like I said, you know, juggling one ball yeah. is easy. Juggling two balls is not bad. But, like, the moment you start to stretch even your mental capacity to figure out, to write this thing down. And I always imagine it being, like, people, um, you know, serial killers in CSI when they go into their house and they've got all these strings and things pinned all everywhere. That's that's how it is. Yeah. You know? And, like, not only am I having these people interact, but why? Yeah. Why do I have any of my characters do anything? You know? It's hard. No, for sure. Um, two other real quick questions. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like it did recreating the 70s, especially after watching a movie from the 70s that was contemporary? With Grease? With Carrie. Oh, Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I think that it did a, I think that it did a good job, honestly, with keeping it very authentic and honest. Like, you can tell that he's, he's looking back on his childhood and it's not like a caricature of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. It feels it feels very lived in. Um, instead of like how people nowadays think the 80s were. That's fair. Um, I guess also off of that, the movie does not have any score. There is no composer in the film. No. Everything is sourced 
music from the time. Mm -hmm. How successful did the soundtrack work for you as a replacement to a composition? I found the I found it distracting. I'm not gonna lie. Because every time that a composition moment would come in, you were suddenly just hearing acutely another acutely aware of like a tune that you knew. Yeah, yeah, because there wasn't just like any ambient sound. Everything mm-hmm. always came in full force, like with a music cue. Yeah, look at me. I'm a popular song of this time. Like, and they, and at the end of the day, it would be one thing. Ah found my point is one thing to have popular music in your movie but it has to fit it has to be in it has to mean something it has to be commenting on a moment it has to feel organic to the themes of the thing that i'm watching just having music just playing is like having the radio on in the car like it's not affected by anything that's happening in the car and you may be affected by the things that are happening on the radio, but what if, you know, what if now the radio is just the audience getting to hear it and you don't get to either? So, like, you know, it for me, it just, I could have, I could have not had every top hit of the 1970s played at me, you know, almost like keys dangling in front of a baby. You're like, oh, look at it, look at it. We've got, we've got Snow Ride. You know, in this thing, take it easy. And they're like, look at it. Look at it right there. You love this song. And it's just like, yeah, but these characters are so much more interesting right now. Like, can you can you quiet down? No, I think that that's totally fair. Uh, so if you had to rate Dazed and Confused out of five, what would you give it? I mean, I'm still going to give Dazed and Confused a five. I think that, like, it really won me over this time around. Like, there's a lot of things happening in this movie that even though I did not obviously grow up in the 70s, um, there were a lot of things that like, you know, were, were touchstone things for me as well, you know, that I could look and go like, oh no, I totally identify with this character in this moment. Or like, no, this this is this is exactly how this moment is supposed to feel. You know, it it, it felt real and that's that's so rare and you know don't get me wrong. I love some magical realism. I love anybody who's, who fits in their theme and just wears that theme to the end. You're like, mm, consistency is key. But there is something about a really authentic slice of life movie that gets to have crazy things happen done well that is just like so, so inspiring because like this movie could have been, this movie could have been, yeah, it could have been flat. Mm-hmm. It could have been exactly what you're expecting. You know, it could be a bad Cheech and Chong movie. Yeah. The whole thing. No, for sure. Uh, I'll go with a, I'll go with a five as well. I, I was really happy with this one. I was really impressed with, with what he did. Um, I think it has a good heart. I think that it's got a good head as well. I mm-hmm. think that it knows how to craft a story. Um, and I think that the cast does a tremendous job across the board. I don't think that anyone for me is really falling behind in any capacity. No, no, no. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this movie, um, you know, it's 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 really hard to find honesty in characters in an, in a in a true sense, you know, because at the end of the day, we all have good and we all have bad in us. And I think that this movie does a really great job of balancing even when our characters, our good characters, 
they do some shitty shit sometimes. Yeah. You know, and that because that's normal. That's that's human. Mm-hmm. You know, our a pink is totally making out with a girl who's not his girlfriend in the woods, and he is not plussed about it at all. And he keeps moving on with his day, and nobody confronts him about it. And that's that's crap. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, do I hate him? No. No. You know? Um, Mitch leaves his friends hanging after they leave him hanging. Do I hate him? No. No. If anything, I'm mad at that one kid for helping out his friends after they leave him hanging. Oh, yeah, no. But you also see, once he, once he shed the extra weight, where he got to transition to. Once he realized that, like, hey, maybe you guys suck. Um, moving on, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll discuss very briefly what we're watching. Uh, lately all that we have watched really, uh, we did watch Elvis, uh, and we watched Grease. Uh, Grease was fabulous. Um, every time. Really, really warmed me up. Um, I hadn't seen that movie in a long time. It was, it was such a familiar favorite. It was very comfortable. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love Grease. Um, Elvis was a blast. Mm. Um, really well-crafted biopic. Very Baz. In the best possible way. Um, and Austin Butler gave... For me, honestly, I think what's maybe one of my favorite performances of the year so far. I think that that's totally fair. I, I'm, I still have moments in my head of his performance that like I'm replaying. No, yeah. Because he just had a a magnetism. Yeah, and again, it's all based in in authenticity, you know, like he wasn't trying to put on a caricature of of Elvis, you know, the Elvis that we all know. He was making, he was bringing this man to life again. He was, and he was giving it his all and you see it so much, especially in the musical performances. Like he really, he's, hypnotic at times to watch it's it's there are times where it cuts away and i was livid that we were no longer watching the performance i was like get fucking back to it he does such a good job when he's like uh doing the the guitar to the beat at the end of the song you know the the button at the end and it's just so good well and you know him in the in the 68 special Oh yeah, just recreating, a, yeah, just swinging, you know, and and doing it so great, like it was, it was truly phenomenal. Um, no, really, for sure, really incredible work, and an example of a movie that's doing a much better job of having like pop culture songs organically woven into the yeah. thing. Just saying. Um. Beyond that, as far as media news goes, there were only two things that I really wanted to bring up. Three things. One, um, apparently they are no longer interested in casting a Bond over the age of 39. Okay. Um, which I think is for the best. Well, yeah. Uh, I tweeted about it as well. I think that, um... As much as everyone loves Idris, he's too fucking old. Well, yeah, but we don't have anybody else, dear. Where are all the young people at? Hmm? Well, apparently they're looking for them. Well, um, they can keep looking because the the oldies are going to be like, I'm still good. They're going to fucking put Tom Cruise in the part. No, they're fully putting a kibosh on... This, this was a new report that came out. They are not at all 
interested in casting anyone over 39. Mm. I'm going to be Bond. Everyone over that age point is thrown out. Um, they've really given it a lot of thought, and and they have decided, given the scheduling of a Bond film, especially in today's day and age, that they need to go younger. And so they are looking for someone in their 30s somewhere. Um, Fascinating. This is going to be the youngest Bond we've had in... A while. Almost ever. Um, Kenya Barris is now doing a remake of The Wizard of Oz. So you're saying The Wiz? No. As one Twitter user I saw make the joke say, he is doing biracial The Wiz. Um... <laughs> he's doing colorblind cast of the Wiz. Yeah, essentially, he's it's it's just he's doing a remake of the Wiz. It's j- or of the Wizard of Oz, not the Wiz, but he's he's ignoring any sort of racial lines, and he's trying to spruce up the story and modernize it. But he's not remaking the Wiz. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like. A horse by any, or a rose by any other name? I mean, kind of, because also, Horse like, of a different color is the other one that I was thinking Yes, 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 that's that's the Wizard of Oz one. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, the horse of a different color is, mm-hmm. is literally one of the, it's, yes. Anywho, anywho. Um, we've, we've done so many different versions of Wizard of it's Oz. It's almost like becoming, um, Cinderella at this point. You yeah, know, where like, you've I, got just, I just don't Cinderella care. and you've got, um... Cinderella story and you've got you know all of these different no, iterations and yeah. remakes and hip adaptations yeah and this character just can't just like exist in itself because also you know I'm gonna be completely honest with you other than the Wiz, what other version of the Wizard of Oz and there are several can I honestly name at this moment can you honestly name at this moment Oz the HBO show that was set in a mental ward Ooh, Oz the Great and Powerful. That one that had, um, what's James it? Franco and yeah, Mila yeah, Kunis. Yeah, 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 That movie was terrible. Mm-hmm. And they keep doing it. Like, I just, I just don't care. No, that's fair. You know, I'm, I'm so itching for new content. I could, I can just watch The Wizard of Oz. It's my mother's favorite movie. No, that's fair. Um, lastly, uh, Ezra Miller has checked themselves into a mental health facility citing, quote, complex mental health issues. Good. Um, We will see what comes of that. What's interesting is that announcement literally came days after it was uh, reported that Warner Brothers was trying to figure out what they, well, Discovery now, was trying to figure out what they want to do with the Flash movie. Oh, shit! So Ezra was like, fuck, I need to clean myself up! Potentially. Because there's there's apparently a chance, especially due to the fact that it was recently announced that Ezra Miller is wanted by the law in Vermont, I believe. Of all states. For burglary, I want to say. Burglary, breaking and entering, something like that. I'm going to write a book about crazy celebrities, and Ezra's going to be in one, and um, Army Hammer. <laughs> and so, uh, and there, there has been a whole conversation about whether or not they think the film is financially viable. And here's the other issue. 
Here's what's also probably really hurting the movie. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a reset movie for the new and improved DC EU. And they can't start out here if it's gonna be if it's gonna tank. But the other problem is that Michael Keaton's Batman was going to move on to be a part of the Batgirl movie that they canceled. So this is almost setting up a movie that isn't going to happen. So they've got a a lead that is potentially box office poison, some plot elements that are potentially no longer relevant, and on top of that, the Snyderverse is dead. Like, it's never coming back. So the question is, do we keep it or do we ditch it? The answer is throw it all away and start over. The truth is, this is a cursed fucking movie, and it has been since the day that it was announced. It has gone through so many directors, so many writers, so many plots. It is cursed. It is a cursed movie. I don't know who cursed it, but someone literally put a fucking hex on this movie. Someone got in a pentagram, whoa, whoa, sacrificed whoa, whoa, an animal, whoa, 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 whoa. and cursed this movie. Not just this movie, <laughs> but the DC comic franchise entirely. They have not had a good actual break in their entire existence. Name me a handful of movies that were actually successful that had DC characters in them that weren't cartoons. I mean, from the last few years? Yes. Okay. Uh, like Shazam. Um, so their most successful movies of the last decade have been... The first Wonder Woman. Yep. The Aquaman movie. No. Shazam. Yes. Uh, I... The Batman. Yes, yes, yes. A student right there. Joker. No. I didn't tell you what's good. I said what's been successful in the last Baby, 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 baby. (laughs) Making money in the box office is easy. An Alvin and the Chipmunks movie can make millions of dollars in the box office. Joker has Oscar gold. I don't. (laughs) Walked home with Oscar gold. I don't care. People don't watch the movies that they're supposed to be voting for. I don't care that somebody went, oh, I know that name. Oh, I'll vote for it. It sounded good. I just never got around to watching Joaquin. Uh, And so those are probably their most successful things from the last decade. Yeah, yeah. Now see how many movies they've put out. Fair. They, their entire model is, we'll plan later. No, that's true. And that's where they've really fucked themselves this entire time is, we'll do it in post the production meeting. It's almost Hobbit-like. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's and and they they keep looking around and going, I don't understand why we keep failing. No, for sure. I don't understand why Marvel, who plans years in advance, is still succeeding past us, even in their most terrible um, few things yet. Yeah, it's because at least they had a plan. No, for sure. Terrible. Uh, but that's pretty much all the media news that we have for y'all. Uh. Go and sign up for the newsletter. It is going out at the end of the month. Um, And it's going to announce some of the stuff that we're doing moving into the end of the year. Uh, If you haven't already, go and check out last week's episode. Uh, Check out all of our back-to-school episodes. 
Um, and that's pretty much all that we have for y'all, dear. Do you have anything for the, for the listeners? Oh gosh, no, I've said so much. Um, go out there and, and watch a movie that makes you happy because, you know, why not? Yeah. Um, I guess all that I will say is, um, try and do something good. Yeah, there you go. Go out there and in the next week, do something good. And if you hit a moment where you hesitate and something deep inside tells you to do something, do it. Unless it's bad. I mean, obviously, but you know, I mean, I'm talking about in the context of like, you know, a, a moment to, to rise to action. Yes. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to if ruin you're, that. If you're hitting a moment of, of uncertainty and something deep inside is telling you that something is the right thing to do and you're not doing it, do it. Yeah, you know, um, my grandmother would always say that um, even if you were a pot, be the best pot mm-hmm. that you can be, you know? So even anybody can be their best self and, you know, pay it forward. Yeah, so try and do something good. That's all that we have for you guys this week. We'll talk to you guys next week when we get into overachievers and nerds and close out our back to school week thank you guys or month thank you uh thank you guys as always for listening we'll talk to y'all later Bye. bye